The Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering communities. I'm Gerald Lott, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm founder and executive director of Salt Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified recovery support specialist, an entrepreneur, a father, and after a long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others find recovery. I work with many, many people and several addiction-related boards and companies and coalitions every day. And my core belief is that people must make an effort to change their lives for recovery. The saying, no pain, no gain, is exactly correct. A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, often welcoming some discomfort. It isn't the change in our lives that hurts, it's our resistance to it. Today, my guest is someone who I met at uh, Mobilize Recovery. You guys are noticing a theme. I, 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 all these cool people I met at Mobilize, I try to get them to do the podcast. And, and um, she is uh, someone who uh, is a member of Black Faces and Voices. And, and you know, with this being February, Black History Month, I, I wanted to try and get as, as many of uh, people of color as I could to to do the interviews. And uh, she is the founder of I Am Light Recovery and Wellness in Columbus, Ohio. She is a, a public speaker. She is a recovery advocate. She is a CPRS, uh, and she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. Her net, name is Lynette Cashaw Davis. Lynette, how are you? I'm awesome. That's I woke great. up this morning. God is good. Ain't it? Ain't it? Yeah. Yeah. None of us are promised these days, are we? Listen, I'm telling you, many people didn't wake up this morning, so I don't take it for granted. So, 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 you know, tell me about I Am Light. Okay, so um, I have been, first of all, in long-term recovery from substance use disorder um, since May 4th of 2007, so uh, 16 years 16 years, eight months and some change. Um, and probably um, halfway through that uh, recovery process, I had decided I wanted to work in the field. Um, okay. And um, unfortunately, even though I worked for our state's behavioral health um, company organization, our state's behavioral health organization, um, couldn't get into programming position. So decided, um, I'm going to do it as a volunteer. So I started volunteering um, locally, statewide, as a recovery advocate, speaker, motivator, peer supporter, those kinds of things. And at the same time, went back to school and got my master's degree to, to, to support me in moving forward um, while I continue to work. And um, because I'm also a lifelong dancer, as I got older, wanted to continue doing that, wanted to mesh that with the recovery community um, in terms of training and support. So um, I would say probably as part of one of my volunteer um, organizations, which is called Black Girl Rising, it's a prevention program for adolescent Black girls, I started doing mind movement classes. Um, and I took some formal training from the developer of a 
a program, a practice called Dancing Mindfulness. Um, um, most recently, I've also moved into yoga. Uh, I finished my certification as a yoga instructor with a program called Yoga Faith. And so all of these things I've done, um, I decided to turn into a company. Um, Part-time at first, doing it as an independent contractor while I continued working full-time. Um, so teaching mindful movement, um, also as a speaker, as an advocate, and involved in every organization imaginable, kind of representing people with lived experience, you know, mm -hmm. working with mm -hmm. treatment providers and clinicians and often being the only person, first of all, the only person of color and the only person with lived experience in the room. So I developed that passion. Um, and so began get began getting paid to do some of those things and decided to start a company um, while I was continuing to work full time, working towards um, retiring from the state. Right now, I, I have like 30 years with the state, um, probably 20 more months I can retire um, with full benefits. However, um, this pull to do these different things in the recovery community Full time has been after me, so I just decided to, to to start doing it full time. So I'm building my consulting, training, facilitation company, building the product lines around mindful movement, peer support. Um, I'm trying to stand up a recovery community organization in Central Ohio. We don't have one currently, so. Just basically, my my organization will um, be um, cons a consulting company as well as a training company, um, helping people in and seeking recovery, and um, the general public not only learning more about um, the substance use disorder um, and recovery, but just in general how to get and stay well. So, so it, it sounds like many of the things that you use to get you to where you are, you have turned around and are going to show others how to get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great uh, short way of putting it. Um, because um, one of the things I learned, you know, working in, working with the state um, behavioral health authority for 20 years now, um, almost, yeah, almost 21 years, um, the, the focus has been treatment. Um, and certainly now with the opioid epidemic, you know, compounding the addiction epidemic that's been going on um, since, you know, for a while, um, treatment and medication, all of those things have been the focus in terms of grants and, and support. And well, of course, getting people, keeping people alive and, you know, preventing overdose and overdose deaths ob obviously is a priority. But at the same time, the recovery piece has been lacking. And particularly here in Ohio, um, the recovery piece has only recently been started to being recognized as a key part of the recovery uh, of the continuum of care. Um, and so I started that's what made me want to get involved. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, 16 plus years ago, 
My life was saved by the recovery community. I got a second chance at life. I saw many people get a second chance of life. And I want to share that. I wanted to use what I've learned and what my heart was to do more of that. So the advocacy piece came um, out, you know, moving from my recovery community, um, my, my recovery program to the greater community, because I've always been an advocate at heart since I was a kid, always had a big mouth, always fighting for something, talking about mm. something. And I just wanted to use that um, as a way to, you know, eliminate stigma and advocate for services for people in recovery, um, whether or not they receive treatment, that recovery piece is key. So um, yeah, I, I think, and that's one of the reasons I started my company because even working in the field, I'm limited. I have been limited in how I can advocate. I'm limited in how I can train and teach. Um, and I am a community engagement person at heart. Um, I, you know, that's just where my heart has always lied. Even before I got into recovery, I was involved in the community. So um, this is the way of giving back to that community and getting paid for the things that for so many years I did for free. There ain't um, nothing wrong with that either, is it? At this point in my career, um, that's where I, that's where I am. Not saying that I don't do it. Um, I still do it as a volunteer, as a service to the community, but for, um, organizations and, um, especially not only statewide, but nationally, um, we need to start being, we need to monetize the skills and experiences. We, we as people with lived experience and peer supporters, the, the things that we've gone through, um, we need to monetize um, that, those experiences, just like other people monetize theirs. Well, here's the thing. You said something interesting. You said that for a lot of years, the, the approach to deal with this problem you know, for lack of a better word, uh, was treatment. And, you know, you, you said something about analogy. Well, I think in analogies. Um, that's how I communicate. I see treatment as hitting the brake in my car, right? It will stop my forward motion. But if that's all I do, if I just hit the brake and then release, the car will start rolling again, Right. These things that we do in recovery are putting the car in park, right? Mm -hmm. It's making it stay stopped, right? Mm -hmm. So so getting engaged with other people, so giving back, so taking a look at my life and saying, you know, I have these certain talents that have been going to waste, mm -hmm. and yet I'm, I'm pursuing these other things. What if I use those talents for something? These are all the things that I did. You know, I'm I'm similar. Uh, I, I'm just shortly behind you uh, in in my uh, in my sobriety, um, and very similar. You know, after a certain amount of time of, I want to say the first periods of my sobriety, I spent trying to get sober. Right now, I'm in the trying to stay sober. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm trying to give back as much as I can. I'm trying to 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 be a better person. I'm trying to live a life that doesn't cause me to have to use drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know, that's it. Mm 
And and so I'm I'm just I'm so impressed how you have taken all these 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 things and put them together to come up with something where you can visualize what it is because you know we can never be so vain as to think we are unique. Right? I would be willing to bet that if Dan saved you, it will save another young woman. Absolutely. That's right. And yeah. finally, 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 with the onset of recovery community organizations and com recovery community centers, we have the chance to, to show the world that in addition to treatment or sometimes in lieu of formal yes. treatment, because many of us either can't afford it, don't have access to it, choose not to go that route, but we still deserve and can recover, right? We've learned that there's so many alternatives, so many different ways to enter and stay in recovery. So dance and fitness, you know, and sports and all kinds of things can be used to benefit people while they're getting sober and trying to stay sober. Um, and that's, to me, it's, it's a natural fit for folks with lived experience in substance use and, and mental health re uh, recovery to, to say, hey, I was here at one point in my life, whether it was trauma or pain or whatever got me where I was. And these are the things that helped me get better and continue to help me stay well why wouldn't we embrace those things and try to share them with others? Simply because the world hasn't decided that that's part of the capitalist system. Girl, you said it. System. Girl, you said it. That capitalist, that capitalist, um, they, they figured out how to put a tax because, on it. Because so far, that's not been working for us. Right. Um, on a on a great scale, yeah. There's some of us that make it through, but research shows that many of us we may get sober, but we don't have the tools and the support um, and the wraparound services to stay in recovery. And so it makes sense that folks have been who have been there are developing ways to do that. So yeah, wanna, it, it took me a while, but. I, I want to ask you a personal question. Sure. Did you ever go to treatment, to a treatment center? I did. I went okay. to outpatient treatment um, because primarily by the time, by the end of my active addiction, I had gone through a myriad, a myriad of drugs. But by the end, um, I was um, I was using alcohol and, and weed and marijuana most. Um, but I was also had people in recovery in my life. And so um, it, it was kind of a natural pro progression that I'd be supported to go to outpatient treatment. I had someplace safe to say, and if you don't mind, I'd love to briefly tell the story of how yeah. that happened. Yeah, um, I had been in active addiction um, for several years. I'm just like many people in my 20s. Um, I, you know, was hanging out, experimenting with weed and drugs in college, um, you know, got high, had fun, we partied. Um, and as I continued my life, you know, I had some trauma growing up. Um, I came from um, an addictive household. My father struggled with alcohol use disorder my entire life. Um, and so I 
as an only child, I dealt with that. But once I became on my own, I used uh, alcohol and drugs as a way of coping with stress and trauma because I had never been taught other ways to, to, to deal with it. So eventually, um, through all I went through, good and bad, um, I hit a place where um, I, I, I I couldn't do it anymore. My mother passed away and she was my primary support person. And I was left here in Ohio by myself with a house of 30 years, you know, to, 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 to sell and to deal with. And it's essentially, I smoked the entire thing up. I was crack with my drug of choice at that time. Um, so I lost everything. Um, and as they say in my program, I was jobless, penniless, homeless. Um, and remember just saying, God help me. And amazingly, step-by-step, day-by-day, things got better. Um, and I eventually got a job, kept using, um, because again, not knowing how to deal with all the pain and grief of losing my, my mother and all of that, um, until I was hanging out in a, a club one time, um, and met some guys from, um, a recovery club. They had left the recovery club and came to the, to the bar to meet girls and met one of them, asked one of them to dance. Um, and we danced and we partied and turns out that person was in recovery. Um, and he's, that was, uh, that was probably 19 years ago. He's my husband today. Um, so that example of someone in recovery, um, being around people who were not using, allowed me the willingness to do something different. So that's how I got to, to treatment. I don't believe had I not met that guy in that bar uh, that I would have gone to treat. I might not even be here today. But a series of things happened after I met this person. We started hanging out. I had a health scare, almost died. He was there. He was struggling because, you know, his recovery um, community was telling him to leave this. You know, you don't deal with, he had 15 months in recovery and they were like, you need to leave her alone. Um, but he didn't. And, and um, he never told me, you need to go to treatment. You need to stop drinking. You need to stop. What? He never did any of that. He just kept supporting me, loving me until I hit my own, as they say, bottom um, and was forced to either quit my job with the state. I was working at the state. The state said, you either go to treatment or resign. So mm -hmm. I went to treatment and that was 16 years ago. And my husband has 20 years, going on 21 years in recovery. And we're both recovery advocates so for me, the two primary things that helped me get where I am today, first of all, um, health insurance that allowed me to go to treatment and still have a job when I came back. That's mm -hmm. most many of us don't have that. And True. the second is having people in my life that that showed me that recovery is possible. And so um, I'm grateful for that. So that's how wow. I did go to outpatient treatment. Then I eventually... Um, went back to work. Um, and after, you know, having a clean bill of health for a year and then no problems for five years, my record was, you know, cleaned up. And that was, like I said, I've been with, I, I up until recently, I was with the state for 20 years. Um, so got it. So, so my guest is uh, Lynette Cashaw Davis, founder of I Am 
uh, Light Recovery and Wellness in, in Ohio. Uh, so the reason I asked you that. Yes. And thank you for sharing that story. I, I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. In fact, um, it's it's interesting uh, that I am an only child and a lot of the things you said were very reminiscent. Mm -hmm. um, I've been to treatment many, many, many times, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Luckily, my family had the wherewithal to be able to, you know, if you want to go to treatment, go. Mm. But I, I, I don't ever remember hearing somebody uh, say something at treatment that was unique, like, like you know, it 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 wasn't it wasn't you know how you you hear the latest song and you're like, oh, that's dope, right? I don't ever remember that at treatment, right? Treatment has been the same for the last twenty years. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? They're not. And so when we deal, we deal with people that we take to treatment or, or uh, give them options for their recovery escalation, so to speak. Right. Um, and they're like, I need to go back to treatment. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. They're not going to tell you something new. I already know. Right. Absolutely. There's no magic words. What you need to do is get engaged with the recovery community. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? And I, and I say, I, I agree with you there. Um, for me, um, you know, my story is that I, I went to treatment once. Um, for example, my husband's story is he, it took three times before it hit, you know, the light bulb went off for him. Thank God the folks at uh, treatment did the third time, they wanted to kick him out, but one person said, no. Let, let's give him one more chance. Thank God they did. And he finally got it. But and, to your and, point, and to I your point. Mm -hmm. yeah, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I'm sorry. In, well, in terms of what you hear there, for me, I'm a very analytical person. In other words, I think, I think my, I could try to think my way out of a paper bag, right? Good, yes, bad, right. or indifferent. So for me, the education of hearing about you know, addiction being a disease and not a moral failing was a light bulb for me. Because of course, as somebody who grew up in a household that was chaotic and violent and where I was always told I wasn't worth um, it was easy for me to blame myself for what, I, excuse me for, for cursing, I apologize. <laughs> That's easy okay, we'll get it figured out. It's easy for me to blame myself for the predicament I found myself in, yes, but learning that what the things that had happened to me all came together to to bring me to this point, and there was a way that I could address that illness was a light bulb changer for me. And yes. again, I think that having that support already in my life. I, I agree with you. If that 12 weeks had gone by, because I was trying to get back to work, right? right? That 12 weeks had gone by and I didn't know anybody in recovery, didn't have people that were going to meetings, you know, and get a sponsor and all of that. If I didn't have that, I, I don't know that that my life, the trajectory would have been the same. It would have been real right. easy to jump back in and try to cope with life the same way. So, so to your so point, let's, absolutely. Let's go Let's go back to the analogy. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's go back to the analogy. Cause I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm against treatment. Believe <laughs> me, I believe in treatment. No, but what no. I, what I said was 
I see treatment as hitting the brakes. Absolutely. Then you got to put it in park, right? Absolutely. And if I never put it in park, then yeah, I may have to go back and put those brakes on again. But eventually you realize that the miracle doesn't happen in the 28 day or the 12 weeks. Oh, there's no question. And right? let me say this. I, I, I said it briefly, I think, but let me say this. Many of us either choose not to or don't have access to treatment. And we still find recovery and sustained recovery. Exactly. The point is we should have options and support and services wherever we are, whether it's in, in a treatment program, in the community, at home, at our church, in the wherever we are, we should have the ability to find the services that we need to get well and stay well. So, so that's for me, that's the point. Because I know many people that say, for example, tried a particular recovery program. And you know, the, the folks in that program would say they didn't work it. They, you know, they didn't. But I, now I look at it, well, that program wasn't a good fit for them. Hope, so, so, we need so, to find something that is. So let me catch you there and ask you, because I was, you, you're jumping right in. First of all, I want to, I want to catch you on, and I wrote this down. You yes. can go to bars and nightclubs and meet girls in recovery. You can do well, that. I met a guy in recovery. Yes, but I he did. was at the bar. I was. He, he was, was at the at bar the trying bar. to pick up girls, and he succeeded that night. I, I don't, I don't know see nothing wrong. <laughs> but it's funny because you know his sponsor was. You know, we were like once we had started dating and everything. Um, we were like, you know, we we found our we found each other and his. You know, we love each other, right? Right. And my and his sponsor was like. You ain't find nobody and you know, you didn't fall in love with no bar or something like that. And oh no, we said we believed that God brought us together in that bar, right? Yeah. Um, because we both had our own faith system at the time, right? Yeah. Um, even when I was in active addiction, I was always seeking and um trying to connect with with God, right? So when we would say, you know, God brought us together in that bar his sponsor would be like god didn't bring y'all together in no bar and to, to this day i'm like why not you tell me tell me god's not in the bar excuse me he's everywhere but not the bar really don't you know that god's still uh, in jail from it. all them people uh rosetta taylor said me told me god's still in jail because everybody find god in jail and then when they get out of jail they leave <laughs> but, but here, but here. Absolutely. But yeah, here, I mean, listen. Find the point is, recovery can find you everywhere. I believe well, recovery found. Well, I think night. I think I think you're right that that God did bring you all together, and Absolutely. and you can only see God in the rearview mirror. Absolutely. And so, and so you know, you look back and you say He put us on that path. But the Absolutely. interesting thing is, even the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that we can go into those places if we have good reason. Mm. right and and i can see right. no better reason than if i'm looking for companionship mm. the interesting thing is shame on the recovery community that we don't provide that sufficient substitute there's if you ever been to a sober dance they act like we all back in eighth grade come on I, I, you that's, know? that's one of the reasons those guys left 
that club to go to. Right. Know, I, I, I want to I want to go where real people are doing real things in the ways that we normally do it. I just don't want to drink it. So I, I I go to bars a lot, you know, but my life now at 16 years. Right. In fact, I was at a fraternity event last night and mm -hmm. one of the guys said, this doesn't bother you. Well, no, you know, one hour out of Right. One hour out of the last 300 hours, I happen to be around somebody Absolutely. who's drinking. No, it doesn't bother. Now, where it flipped, right. I don't know. I don't know. I'd want to work in a bar at this point. Oh, yeah. Right. 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 But yeah. But, and, and, and that, and that uh, of course, that varies. And of course, it depends on where you are in your recovery. I know um, early in my recovery, when we, I was dating, when, when Rodney and I were dating, first thing he said was, you know, I, I, I'm with you. You want to go out? I'll go with you because he wanted to protect me. Right. He would go out with me, but he, he eventually admitted that he was uncomfortable mm -hmm. and didn't want to go anymore. And I applaud him for knowing himself enough to say as much as he wanted to protect me and be with me. I you go. Call me if you need me, which I did have to call him a time or two. Call mm -hmm. me if you need me, but I don't want to go anymore. I'm not comfortable. So I applaud him for that. Now, that was when he in his early recovery, right? 20 years in, I mean, we hang with family. We have young nieces and nephews and cousins that we hang with who have get-togethers and parties and, and all of that. And they do what they do. We do what we do. And, and everything is good. And when we need to to leave or take a break. We know how you to go. You go. It's no problem. Um, right. So I, I think but, it depends on the person and it depends on where you are in your recovery. Um, but we recovery teaches us to live in the world. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Um, outside the world. And um, that was, that was my point I wanted to get to. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as we talked and again, my guest is, is Lynette Cashaw Davis. As we talked, we said it at the beginning, black faces and voices, people of color. Um, you know, I know for a fact that a big part of my disease was feeling the outsider. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. I, I didn't belong. I did. I was, I wasn't one of y'all, no matter who y'all was, I wasn't one of y'all. Right. Mm -hmm. If, if everybody was tall, I felt short. If everybody was short, I felt tall. Right. Um, and I come into recovery and my, my, my protection, my, you know, uh, people say that, that the drugs and alcohol weren't the problem. They were the solution. Right. <laughs> you know? And so I come in and you've taken that away from me. And now I'm trying to incorporate myself into this recovery community. Um, I've been to meetings where I'm the youngest, mm -hmm. where I'm the only black man, where I'm the only man, right. you know? Um, and all of that, my mind tells me, run, because you don't fit in here. Mm -hmm. I know where you fit in. Mm -hmm. I got something that'll make this right. And so that's where I think that the, the recovery community really has to make a concerted effort to rise up and meet those people when they come looking. When they knock on that door, there should be somebody there that welcomes them in and makes them feel at home and a part of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I will agree with you. And that's one of the blessings of recovery today in, in that we finally, it, 
at some at some levels are ex accepting embracing uh different paths to recovery and in recovery because for for a long time and you know I'll be honest and say even in my recovery program you know the the idea that we're not unique like you said we're not unique but we're all and we're all the same and our addiction is our common bond and that's true Having said that, in our common bonds, there are still needs and identifications that support our wellness and, and getting well and staying well. As a Black woman, there are, there are um, issues in being in the world that I have to address that you even as a black man or a black or a white man or a white woman do not have to address. And so not being willing to acknowledge that, not saying that it makes us different or special or unique, but being unwilling to acknowledge that because of the fear of disunity, mm -hmm. I think does us a disservice. And for many of us, those kind of traditional programs, recovery programs that that don't want that consider that an outside issue have done a disservice for some folks, right? Because at some because listen, I can I can speak for the Central Ohio area. Um when the Central Ohio area first began um developing a recovery community, um there's issues with black and white. There was, mm -hmm. you know, black folks weren't allowed at those those certain meetings in, mm -hmm. in the suburbs. They weren't welcome. And so they ended up starting their own meetings in the urban communities. And even today, sometimes that's still an issue. Urban areas have more people of color. Suburban areas do not. Um, so not saying that that's anyone's fault, but to ignore that reality, I think does a disservice because folks who live in suburbs who are people of color, you know, what, where, where do they fit in if they feel, if they're the only person of color or they're the only young person or the only gay person, whatever it is, and nobody acknowledges that because we're all one, we have the disease of addiction, the disease doesn't discriminate. Yeah. We are not really addressing, I feel, the, when we talk about the holistic view of who we are as people. I got a story for you. I live I live out in rural Illinois. You know, there's mm. not a lot, not a, there's a lot of black folks here, but not a lot in the recovery community. And mm. so my whole group is pretty much a hundred percent Caucasian, except for me. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. They're good people and I love them. But um when the George Floyd situation was going on, mm -hmm. you know, um, we would go around the table and there were times where I mean, even brings me to a tear right now. There, you know, there were times where I wasn't okay, right? You know, yeah. And and I couldn't explain to them what was going on just in my soul. Yes. You, you, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Of course. And, of course. But I go around this table, and I, I would try, but generally, I get back to okay, so I'm good, thanks. Mm -hmm. And one of my, the members of my group older man came over to me one day and he just after the meeting he said you know 
I see what's going on in the world and, and I know it's got to be tearing you up. Do you need to talk about it? Mm. And um, that act of kindness was so rewarding for this white man to to reach to me in that way and 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 give me the opportunity to just vent out what was going on and so pay it forward after october 6th uh the only jewish people i know in this community to be honest one of my daughter's friends uh, her father's jewish and he you know married the mother and all that and so I did the same. I went over to his house and I said, hey, I see that the world is going a little bananas. Is there anything you need to talk about? You know, because I remember how that felt right. for somebody to, 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 you know. And you know what that is? That. Of course, I know you do know, but it, it brings me to um, how that connects with my own story. Is that just plain good quality peer support? Um, and during, the, and, and for me, that shift happened for me during that summer, the, the uprising and the, and the George Floyd and the social protests, all of that happened, shifted my perspective of, of, in the recovery community. Now I had been, again, an advocate, um, focusing on, you know, stigma reduction and us being accepted, you know, as, as people with something to say, valid and deserving of services. Um, and I had grown up, as I said, I had been involved in community work prior to um, my um, recovery. I worked with um, essentially in the community supporting black women and then black girls because my mentor, um, that was her area where she focused on, that was in the early nineties. When Even when I was still in active addiction, I was in the community learning about supporting my people, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then when it came to recovery, that became my cause. Um, but that summer of 2020, when the whole, you know, everything happened. Um, and we had a conversation. Um, one of my colleagues at the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, who folk who whose work supported the peer recovery community, we were on a phone call, we were on a conference call with peers, and she just asked a question. She's also a black woman, very compassionate woman. She just asked, How's everybody doing? doing? How are y'all feeling? What's going on? These are the other peer supporters in the state. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was like, you could hear a pin drop. Mm -hmm. um, finally, um, a, a white woman peer supporter spoke up and said, well, I have not said anything to my clients about these issues. You know, my, my, my clients of color, because I'm afraid to offend them. Um, I'm afraid of getting written up if they complain to my employer. And in th that same conversation, a black woman peer supporter kind of echoed the same thing. She was afraid to address those issues with e either her black or you know um, clients of color or the white ones because she didn't know what would happen and how they would feel and didn't know if that was appropriate. So I realized at that point, so peer support's supposed to be about supporting the person in their recovery, wherever they are, meeting people where they are, right? We love that, that phrase. But if you're 
not addressing social justice issues for people of color when people of color are getting killed <laughs> in the streets and you're not addressing that because you're afraid of what will happen to you or what they'll get, then you're not providing quality peer support. You're only providing a part partial peer support. You're, you're not well, dealing with that person, yeah. that whole Person. And so if you're afraid of that, then we need to be doing better at training and orienting people so that they're comfortable working with all people and knowing that the social justice movement is no different than the recovery movement. It's got to be a part of the recovery movement. They can, it, they're not... Know you know, in my opening, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I, I apologize. In my opening, I said a person cannot experience significant changes in their life without enduring, accepting, and often welcoming discomfort. You have to be willing to get discomforted, right? John John Lewis, you know, good trouble, right? Look, look, you cannot change gently. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You can't be comfortable. I love when somebody calls me and they said, can you help me get into a treatment? I'd like it to be really comfortable. I'd like the people to be nice and I'd like it to be convenient. Oh, you don't want to change then. You see, you know, you want, you want me to, you want me to, you know, can I get it for you at 11 o'clock? And so they don't, so they don't wake you up too early, sir. And what, you know, what I think it is, it's really just a microcosm of the of the society we live in. Um, people of color uh, are confronted every day with um, white folks who not only don't believe that they've done anything racist or wrong or anything, but if they do recognize that, you know, racism exists, they don't know how to address it. Mm -hmm. And so if, if they don't... And, as you say, uncom being uncomfortable, it's easier to be in denial or it's easier to say, well, I fight for all people. I advocate for, I don't see color that whole, that's where that whole, I don't see color thing comes in, which, you know, at least I can speak personally. It's an insult to me. If you tell me you don't see color, that's just like saying you don't see gender. Really? Okay. So, um, so I look like a white man to you then. So, um, but, but my point is, <laughs> so treat me like a white man. Treat me like a white man. There you go. But <laughs> but my point is that's what that day on that phone call to me wasn't anything different than what's in the world. People are afraid to address what's right in front of them because they don't want to offend. They don't want to be accused of. They don't know how to. They don't know what to. And many of us, keep in mind, many of us have been oriented in a recovery program that says there's things that are outside issues. Mm -hmm. The only issue that's important is staying sober. So we have all of these messages from being in a world that has not learned how to deal with difference and cultural, you know, issues. So, of course, we don't know how to deal with them in the recovery community. Uh, but it is changing very slowly. Um, that's one of the things that brought me to Black Faces, Black Voices. I started, I started realizing that I've always been an advocate for my community. And so if I'm an advocate 
for the recovery community and I'm an advocate for my people, I got to be an advocate for my people in and seeking recovery. Yes, ma'am. Only so that's how I got to the point where I am now, where yes, I advocate and I train and I facilitate all people in recovery, but I do specialize and do focus and do um, focus my energy on the development of the of black recovery. Um, the, the, the RCO I want to stand up in central Ohio will be in, a, you know, an urban community of color, uh, more than one, ideally, because we have more than just one community. Um, but um, it doesn't take anything away from my white fellow um, people in recovery the organization that I volunteer with the national with mobilized recovery. I love the folks that lead and, and work in that arena. Um, they are some of the most skilled and compassionate and understanding and supportive people I know in the world. Um, and they also have the sense to realize or to have learned that they can't do this work thoroughly and effectively without bringing people of color in to focus on those communities. So awesome. I am grateful for that as well. Awesome. Well, unfortunately we run out of time and I, I'm so <laughs> into stop already. Yeah. Yeah. But we, you know, let's do it again. Let's just do it again. We, 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 we Anytime. Can, you know, so, so how can people get in touch with you or help you or, or be a part of what you're doing? You know, that's a good question. Since I am just um, started focusing full time on developing um, my company, um, I'm working on those the website and the social media contacts. So right now, the best way to reach me is through my email, and it is I am light LCD at gmail.com. I A M L I G H T L C D my initials at gmail.com. And 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 my hope my intention is to get those um connections and those communication vehicles up and running immediately. I'm so grateful to to have the time and the focus to do that specifically now. Okay. And so and and also you, you'd be surprised. I'll get a call. Hey, there was a lady in Ohio that was on your show, and we are happy to connect people. Absolutely, and, and Absolutely. we will we will route that to you. So, Great. thank you, thank you, thank this you. Can, no problem. This concludes this episode of Recovery Greenhouse with our special guest, guest Lynette Cashaw Davis. Sorry, uh, thank you for taking time out of your day. Absolutely, you have a blessed day now. All right. So, uh, in the in the the interim, my name is Gerald Lawton. If you're still, uh, you know, listening to the episode, there's many more on our website at svbor.org, Spotify, Apple, all the good stuff. So, you know, plenty of conversations just like this with amazing people that I've been able to meet on my, my travels through this recovery world. And if you need help, we're here. You know, reach out. As you just heard, there's somebody in Ohio that'll help you. There's there's our organization. It doesn't matter where you are. There's somebody that'll help you. Go ask. Ask your church. Ask your police department. Ask the hospital. Ask if there's a recovery community organization in your area. And if not, then you call us at 779-707-0151 or you go to our website at sddor.org. And uh, we will absolutely do everything we can to connect you with somebody as amazing as Miss Lynette Cashaw Davis. 
So in the meantime, till we see you again next week, take care. Awesome.